tell I'm ready for football. Uh, so uh, wearing a hat to preach, I know that some people that's like weird, but uh, you know, I pray when I wear a hat, like I'm reading the word when I wear a hat, and I'm a rule breaker, so I wear a hat when I preach uh, today because uh, it's an unusual day, a very unusual day. <laughs> Days like this only come along once every few decades. So uh, the year was 1957, and the Detroit Lions traveled to San Francisco to play the 49ers, and the winner was to go to the championship. It wasn't a Super Bowl back then. And uh, the Lions beat the 49ers to go to the NF. Well, I don't think it was the AFL championship, maybe NFL championship. I don't know which one it was. I wasn't alive. But, uh, but that year they went to the championship and they won. That was the last time the season ended. When the season ended, they, the, the team was sold to the Fords. William Clay Ford bought the Lions. And, um, and then at the same time he bought the Lions, he sold their quarterback, Bobby Lane, uh, to another team. And Bobby Lane said these words. He said, they will never win again while I'm alive. And he was right. They never won again while he was alive. Um, in, the, in the year 1983, I was nine years old. Nine years old, I'm sitting in front of a TV. The Lions are playing in the playoffs against the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco. They come from behind. The score is 24-23. They're about to kick a field goal to win the game. So, Joshua, this will sound familiar. It was wide right. And the Lions lost, and the 49ers went and won the Super Bowl. I cried. I'm not kidding, I did. I was nine years old, and I cried every time the Lions lost back then. So pretty much I cried as a child every Sunday. <laughs> I decided that day for the first time in my life I hated something. I hated Eddie Murray, the field kicker for the Detroit Lions. I knew I hated the, the, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. I knew I hated Dallas Cowboys. I knew I hated the Yankees. Yeah? So, oh, I hated the Yankees. Matter of fact, I still do. There's, there's things I still hate. It's still the Yankees, the Cowboys, and the uh, Steelers. But, uh, but Eddie Murray, I decided to hit Eddie Murray, missed that field goal. 49ers went to win the Super Bowl. We probably would have won the Super Bowl had we went. Um, 1991, the Lions have another great year. And I, I go to a playoff game in the Silverdome, the Lions this time against the Cowboys, who I hate, and we blew them out. And went to the NFC Championship game, and then we got beat really bad the next week. And the rest is history. In the offseason, one of our offensive linemen gets killed cutting his grass when a truck driver falls asleep and ran off the road. Another one of our offensive linemen gets paralyzed during, at the end of the season that we were playing in. And all these all-pro guys just start falling apart, and people start leaving, and they don't win again all the way until now. So in 2021, or 2019 actually, um, William Ford, I believe, dies around that time and decides, his wife takes over and she decides, Martha decides, I can't handle um, this anymore, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass it on. Everybody believed that Junior, Bill Junior, Bill Ford Junior, William Ford Junior, was going to be the one who took over for the Detroit Lions. But in a very bold move, Sheila Ford Hemp is the one who is passed down to, which is the daughter of William Clay Ford been a fan her whole life, been involved in the business, been involved in all that stuff. And so she gets hired, and after one bad move, because she made one bad move, his name's Matt Patricia, it was a really bad move, um, 
she's trying to be like her dad. And, uh, but then she does something that is another bold move. By the way, you didn't think this was all going to build up into a sermon, but it is. <laughs> you told me last night that I, had a, I got a text from Ken. Um, so Gabriel texts him asking, with the Lions doing so well, a lot of my sermons about the Lions. And I'm like, they haven't been, but they are today. So, uh, so she, she makes a bold move that really isn't something you see ever happen. It's happened a couple times that it's never been successful, and there's a reason for it. Um, she ends up knowing that I need to hire a new executive. I need to hire a new general manager who's the person who runs the entire operations of the team, hires staff, hires coaches, all that kind of stuff, drafts players. Instead of going to get a general manager, she, she, hires a head, she hired Chris Spielman, who used to be part of the Lions, who then helped her find a coach to hire Dan Campbell as the head coach of the Detroit Lions, who's a little bit wild and out, out there. And people were like, why are you hiring Dan Campbell? He's crazy. Well, so is Detroit. Works perfect. It's a relationship made in heaven. But she hired a head coach before she hired a general manager, which is usually the general manager's job to do, which is not normal. But she made a decision that this is the direction we're going in. But here's the thing. They have to work well together. They have to have the same vision. They have to want to do the same things. And have the same, they have to look at how we, how we find players the same way. They have to look at how we develop players the same way. They have to look at how we play the game the same way. There's a lot of things that you have to see. So general manager is the boss. He should be first. But instead, they hire a head coach first. Then they hire a general manager. And then you see the next couple years, you see how great these guys get along, how incredible they work together. Now they're in the NFC Championship, the youngest team in history to be in the NFC Championship game. Uh, they have nine guys who start who are 23 and younger. They have 19 guys who are in the rotation, start or play a lot, who are 25 and younger. That's a very young football team. So win or lose, they're going to be around for a minute, right? So, which is exciting for a Lion fan. The point I'm making is she made really bold moves along the way that were unorthodox and weren't normal from what, from what Mama Ford did, hiring her daughter or giving her daughter the reins, to what Sheila Ford did in hiring a coach beforehand. Bold moves. Our life, no matter what we do, is going to be filled with opportunities to make bold moves. Um, a lot of times, though, these bold moves are right in front of us. They're things that maybe we feel like God has wanted us to do. They're right in front of us, but it's a really hard thing to do, so it's a task that I'm not necessarily sure that I want to, because even though I feel inspired by the Holy Spirit to do it, I know it's too big, Right? And so therefore, I hesitate, and I wait, and I sit on it, and I don't make the bold moves. And then years later, you're like, I wish I would have taken those bold moves, right? Anybody been there before? I wish I would have taken those bold moves. I don't know why I didn't. I felt like the Lord wanted me to, but out of fear or whatever the reason why, I didn't take those bold moves. I saw this really good. I think this is a great definition of the word faith. And today, we're going to talk about faith. We have been throughout the series. But um, I'm going to share Hebrews 11, maybe in a little different light than what we've done in the past. But um, here's a definition. Faith is a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. Say that again. Faith is a bold move into an unknown future based on reliable information. Right? God's word is reliable. It's good information, right? The Holy Spirit speaks to us and it is confirmed through whatever avenues, whether it's through other people or whether it's through Scripture, whatever it might be, it is reliable because the Holy Spirit said so. He instructed us. He gave us direction. So that's reliable information. And so based on that information I get, the Lord's prompting, whatever it might be, I then take that bold move, un not knowing what's in front of me, just knowing God said so. That's faith. Great definition. The way we determine if the information is reliable is by confirming that it came from the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we have to be able to confirm that. 
um, not every single bold move is a good bold move. You know, sometimes we make bold moves and they're actually stupid moves. We're all guilty of making stupid bold moves, right? We've all done that before. Um, we'll see that a little bit, I think, in the passages we'll read today. Um, even if even if we don't, even if I have to go outside of this passage and go to other passages that kind of confirm, um, we'll do that. So Hebrews chapter eleven, starting with verse number one. Now faith is a certainty of things hoped for. The word hoped for, the phrase right there, hoped for, actually in the original language would be more like expected. So faith, now faith is the certainty of things expected. In other words, even though um, I don't know what it is and I don't know what's coming, I still expect God's going to do something great. There's a hope, there's an anticipation, there's an expectation. So I'll read it again. Now faith is the certainty of things expected, a proof or a conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old gained approval. You want to know how important faith is? Faith is a, one of the things that we do that is how we gain God's approval over us, that we walk in faith, not just, not just passively living our lives, which we sometimes do. You understand that faith is going to be something that we have to operate in every single day, not just on occasion. So it's, there's one part of faith is I believe in Jesus, I know who he is, I surrender my life to him as a result of who he is. But then there's the other step of faith that as I walk with Jesus every single day, and as he leads and directs my path, I'm obedient to him, and I don't stop moving forward because I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, and the Lord is walking forward. Right? So I'm walking with him, and there's step after step, and obedience after obedience, and faith after faith. It's constantly happening. If I've gotten to a point where I'm comfortable and there's not faith happening, there's not steps of bold moves that are taking place, then there's a good chance that I'm missing a lot of opportunities. Because God's always moving, these opportunities. You'll find when you're aware and praying, there's always opportunities to make bold moves. Could be as simple as talking to your neighbor about Jesus, whatever it might be. But every single day, there are opportunities that we have to walk in faith. And when we walk in faith, God is pleased. Verse number three. By faith, we understand that the world has been created by the word of God so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. By faith... Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he was, he, he was attested to be righteous, God testifying, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, through, though he is dead, he still speaks. I'm going to talk about this for just a minute, because when we know that at, Cain and Abel were at, given instructions by God to bring a specific offering to the Lord, right? And so what happened? Abel, one brother, decides, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord because he said do this. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do exactly what he said, and I'm going to bring this exact offering to him. Then there's the brother Cain who's like, you know what? And you all have a brother like this if you have brothers because brothers always want to one-up each other. Like, I'm better than my brother. At least that's how my brothers were. At the end of the day, though. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. But... Uh, <laughs> But Cain wanted up his brother a little bit. He wanted to look better. So what he did is he's like, I'm going to do some of the stuff that God said. Oh, and I'm going to add a few things. I'm going to make my offering extra incredible and extra awesome, and I'm going to bring it before God, and God's going to be not pleased but impressed. Like he's trying to impress God with his extra. You, you can't impress God with extra. You can only impress God with obedience. And so he brought the extra before God, and what happened is, Cain decided, I'm going to make a bold move. Remember I said, not every bold move is a good thing. 
Sometimes bold moves are stupid moves. Cain's like, I'm going to make a bold move and I'm going to go above and beyond because I'm special that way. So I'm saying today that as we're making bold moves, be aware that everything has to be, when God's speaking to you and giving you clarity, don't add to what God says. Just do the steps he asks you to take. That's it. Nothing less, nothing more. Just be obedient to the Lord. Those are the best bold moves that we can make. You can, it is possible to make bold moves on your own, get in a hurry or getting ahead of God or deciding you want to do more. Uh, by the way, you can't do more. When we're obedient to the Lord, he's the one that does the more. You can't do the more. He has to be the one that does the more in order for it to be really from the Lord, right? So we know that we can't be like Cain. So sometimes that bold move is a stupid move. Sometimes that bold move is the one, but it's also a bold move just to say, I'm not going to try to do extra. This is what the Lord said to do. So I'm just going to be obedient and faithful and do what he told me to do. Sometimes you have things in front of you. I bet you all of you have had times where um, you had big ideas that you wanted to do, but then the Lord said, this is all I want you to do right now. And so you just do the right now thing, right? Just do the right now thing. And if there are big aspirations that God has for you, this is true. If God has given you big dreams, the accomplishment of that big dream, what I've learned, is accompaniment of a bunch of small, faithful steps that eventually get there. So it's better to be obedient and just do the one bold move that's small, the thing that God asked me to do, and not try to be extra, and just keep doing those. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're in the middle of it, of what God's purposed you to do. It's obedience. It's faithful. It's every single day. This is one of my favorite stories, but, but in a chat, verse number five, it goes into Enoch, which is a pretty cool story. I, I wish I was like Enoch. That would be really cool to like just be with God and then not be around anymore. Just you're gone in heaven. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. So he never died. He just went to heaven with the Lord. And he, has, and he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. Remember that word, pleasing. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is not just believing, by the way. Faith is believing to the point where I take the steps of obedience. I'm following, I'm listening, I'm doing things. It's not just, we can easily sit back and say, a lot of people can say, I believe in God. It is real easy to say, I believe in Jesus. I know a lot of people who tell me, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm okay. I'm going to go to heaven. Everything's going to be okay. But, but it's not really faith unless it's followed by action, right? Faith is easy to say, I believe something, but it's not faith. You don't really believe it unless you are actually willing to jump into it, right, and follow. Enoch did exactly that. He took action. His action pleased God. As a result of that, he was able to just be taken away. Then it says this, for the one whom comes to God must believe that first he exists, that's one part of believing he's God, he exists, and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. So I don't just know that he exists, but I also know as somebody who walks with the Lord that he proves himself over and over and over again, that he's constantly faithful, constantly rewarding me as I seek him. As I pursue him, I'm seeing God do miracle after miracle, do wonder after wonder, taking care of my needs, help me, help me uh, connect with people and reach people. He's doing all these amazing things. As a result of all I did was believe in him and then know without a doubt by faith that he will prove himself. All I have to do is take the steps. That's an incredible thing that he had that attribute. And because of that, literally just was walking with God, hanging out with Jesus. or walk, you know, I would say Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus God, Father, Holy Spirit, all same. Um, He's just literally walking with God, wanting to have a relationship, and all of a sudden he's gone. It's like, poof, there goes Enoch. All because Enoch 
believed that he existed and believed so much so that he, his actions followed and he knew that he was going to prove himself being faithful. So we can make bad, bold moves, but we can also make constant, bold moves that are bit by faith that will cause us to get caught up in heaven and God will do miracles and incredible things and we'll see stuff like this happen. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, I, I, this is a very important because not everything that God speaks to you, by the way, and, and I know today, not, if you go to church, everything that we talk about is really good stuff, right? Everything's positive, everything's encouraging. Not everything that God says to you is about what's coming is good. He has this word from the Lord, Noah, about, it was a warning about things that he has not yet seen, right? The flood that's going to come, the judgment of God that's going to come. There's this instruction by God, I want you to go and build this ark because of what's coming. Now listen to this word right here. Because this is important. If we are going to walk in obedience to the Lord, we're going to see God move. We're going to see incredible things happen. If we're going to be able to take bold moves, there's a, there's a way to do it. And the first way to do it is in reverence. He prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of, righteous, of the righteousness, which is according to faith. In other words, he had that faith. It was in reverence that Abel gave the requested offering. It was in reverence that Noah built the ark. There was a recognition. He doesn't just exist, but he will prove himself in faithfulness, but also he's a righteous judge. So there's a reverential fear, a reverence that I have for the Lord, that because of that reverence, I won't be Cain. Right? Because of that reverence, I'm going to walk every day not trying to go beyond God, not trying to go above God. Remember, there is no ceiling. The box top's blown off. But at the same time, for me, I have to walk in faithfulness daily. And if God tells me to do something crazy and wild, I'll do something crazy and wild. If God tells me to take just a small step, I'll take just a small step. Because my walk with God is friendship and incredible, but it's also in reverence to him. Because I acknowledge that he is not me. <laughs> that he's so much greater, so much more incredible. So there's a reverence that I have before the Lord before I make decisions. So I'm going I'm to wait on the Lord. I'm going to press in. Seek the Lord. I know if I seek the Lord, eventually he'll, he'll reward me. Sometimes the reward of the Lord is, by the way, not exactly what we expect. Sometimes it's just the Lord rewards us with knowledge. Sometimes he rewards us with information about what we're supposed to do and next steps. We're not necessarily going to get the whole kingu boodle right away. So it's important, just like Noah, that there's a reverence that we walk in, in faith. He's going to ask you to do things, especially in the day that we live in, Maybe a little bit unorthodox to modern church. Maybe a little hard. And maybe you might face some rejection. Because, by the way, you don't have to do much as a Christian in 2024 to be rejected. But he's going to ask you to do things that might cause a little bit of pushback. Noah did something that caused a little bit of pushback. But because of the reverence of the Lord, he was obedient, knowing that he'd be rejected. Knowing that actually everybody thought he would be nuts. He still did it anyway. Little steps of faith, little steps of bold. It was a bold move for Noah to build an ark. By faith, Abraham, when he saw, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for the inheritance, an inheritance, and he left not knowing where he was going. There you go. God's given him instructions, said, This is what I'm going to do for you, but he never gave him the exact, this is the dot on the map. He said, Go. Be faithful. And so he went going not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he lived as a stranger in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. That's his kids, by the way. Fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive and even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Remember we talked about Enoch, we talked about the other people earlier, right? There's this, it's not that he just exists, but it's also the fact that he proves himself. So she had that mindset, that faith here, that she was not just believing in God, but she considered him faithful who had given her the promise, right? So she was able to receive later on. But what I find interesting about this text is if you go back to Genesis chapter 16, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So I bring that up because it's funny. In this one passage, God is saying she believed God and she knew that he was faithful, so she was able to receive. Yet before this happened, because this promise that God gave Abraham, by the way, Abraham, by the way, was for him and Sarah, husband and wife. It was their promise. But they waited a while. And after waiting a while, it's not happening. So Sarah's like, you know what? We can still do this. We're just going to have to take it into our own hands. Right? Now, this is the problem. This is what Cain did. I'm going to take it into my own hands. I'm going to do my own things. We could do it bigger. We could do it better. I've got a slave. Go hook up and we'll have a child that way. And then we'll raise our family. So, so she goes and does that. And then she has Ishmael which we all know the story there, the story of a lineage that began that is, the Bible said a lot of things about, but we're talking about entire religions that have come out of that, right, that happened as a result of that step of disobedience. She stepped out. Cain had a judgment on him for what he did when he tried to bring more to the table. And the same thing happened to Sarah and Abraham when they went outside of covenant and relationship they had and outside of the promise and decided they're going to take it into their own hands. So you can make dumb decisions. And you can do the wrong thing and take the wrong bold moves. It's a bold move, right? To say, okay, Abram, Abraham, see her over there? I know we're married and you know, I love you and everything, but go ahead. We'll have kids that way. That's a bold move. It's a bold, stupid move that led to a lot of problems. A lot of issues. But what I like about this story is the fact that they made a dumb, bold move. And here we are a long time later, we're finding out in Hebrews that she still had received the promise beyond her proper time in life because she considered him faithful who had promised. In other words, she got another chance to get it right. Only this time she had to learn, I'm going to depend on the Lord. This is the word of the Lord for some of us in this room today. You have made bold, stupid moves and put yourself in, in bad situations. You have maybe thought as a result of that that God does not have time for you anymore, that there's no more opportunities for you, that you don't have a chance, and so therefore I'm just going to settle. I'm going to forget about all the things that God's put on my heart because I already screwed that up. And God will say to you today, you might have already screwed that up, but don't, don't take me out of the equation because I'm a God who, if you repent, I will restore you. And I will restore you, and I will restore the, the years that the locust has stolen. I will restore back to you seven times that which, those things that were stolen from you. I will do greater things in the latter days for you than I did in the former. 
So if you take me out of the equation, you're going to miss out on all the opportunities for more bold moves that will, that will give me the opportunity to prove who I am and what I can do. Just like I said earlier in this passage, he'll prove himself. He gives second opportunities, third opportunities. For, I, matter of fact, I stopped counting on the number of opportunities that I've had as a result of making dumb, bold moves. And then the result has always been I had a struggle, I had to deal with consequences, but then God comes along in his graciousness and his love, and he says, all right, Chris, it's time. You've already dealt with consequences. Now it's time for me to restore you, and it's time for me to pour out my spirit on you again. It's time for me to give you a new opportunity. You don't have to be stuck in your dumb, bold decisions. Instead, I could decide I'm going to make another one, a new bold decision. I think it's the best, by the way, out of all the bold decisions I could ever make, it is repent. Acknowledge I made a mistake. Acknowledge I didn't do the right thing. Acknowledge that I decided to take things in my own hands and do it my own way, and instead say, God, I'm sorry about that. I repent, surrender to you. Jesus, take the wheel. Isn't that a song? I don't, it's not my genre of music. In Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read a little story. I just threw this in on purpose because I think this is just a really cool story. Luke in itself, the book of Luke, is, is a pretty incredible story of boldness. It is not normal kind of boldness that we're talking about now, but you have a guy in Luke who decides he's going to write an entire book. Do you, anybody here know why? Luke wrote the book of Luke, Luke, and the book of Acts, both. They were addressed to one person. There we go. So he writes this book to a single person, and he writes Acts to a single person. Two of the biggest, uh, most influential books of the New Testament, because they're all very big and very influential, right? So they're there. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this book to the Theophilus. I, I don't want to try to pronounce it. Um, Yes, good job. <laughs> English. I have a problem with English. And I also don't speak any other languages. So I'm in trouble. <laughs> but, uh, but he writes this book, to, both books, to one individual with the idea of sharing. This is what most scholars believe is the idea of trying to share with him not only what Jesus did, but what the church did and what God did in both situations in order to win somebody to the Lord who was somebody who, it sounds like when you read it, is somebody of importance. That there was the, word, the words that Luke used to describe him were only used by Paul twice and nobody else regarding people in authority and big positions. So he wrote to somebody who had authority, who was a big position, obviously who might be interested in hearing. But he makes a bold move to write these entire, I'm talking in detail. So for Luke, he, he literally he wasn't there. So he had, to, he had to go and have interviews and talk with people, and find it's amazing how much the book of Luke connects with Matthew, Mark, right, and John, considering the fact that he wasn't there, and he went and got all of this, the, the secondhand accounts, really, because he went and got all the information from everybody, <laughs> and talked to people. He did all of this, spent all this time getting all this information to put all this stuff on, on paper, so, or, I don't know, they had scrolls. But he went through all of that effort in order just to win one person. That's bold. That's a lot of work. I have a hard time talking to somebody about Jesus sometimes, right? Anybody else? Like, I'm just going to talk to my neighbor, talk to, I don't talk to my family about it anymore, I just live it in front of them because I, they, I'm just, it's like talking to walls. 
Sometimes I do. They open the door. But it's hard. We have a hard time like, just sharing Jesus with somebody around us. Luke is like, I'm going to write two books, entire books, the book of Luke and the entire book of Acts, so that I can just win Theopolis to the Lord. And it turns out that word that was inspired by the Holy Spirit is now not only impacting him, but it impacts generation after generation after generation after generation. <clears throat> by the way, this is what happens when we listen to the Holy Spirit and make a bold move that is maybe not something we normally would do, and it might take a little effort and a little time, but God then throws his faithfulness on top of that, and he proves himself on top of that, and incredible things happen. All because he's like, at ah, this one guy, the only way I'm going to be able to convince him is he needs to see it on paper. I need to lay out all the accounts for him. And all of a sudden, here I am, 2,000 years later, reading Luke and reading Acts, and like, oh, oh. That's better than the Detroit Lions. It's like the Lion of Judah. It's amazing. Like, I, I, I'm, we're, we're seeing lion fever in Detroit. Like, it's everywhere. I went and got a haircut. I posted this on Facebook because it was funny. I'm, I, I go get a haircut at what's called Supercuts, <laughs> and the place I go to, they're like all like 50, 60, 70-year-old Chaldean ladies. I'm serious. I'm sitting down to get my haircut, and every one of them are talking about the lions the entire time I'm in there. And every person who comes in is talking about the lions. And like everybody's talking about the lions because the lions are winning for the first time in ever. And uh, so, so it's exciting. But here we are. We have the lion of the tribe of Judah, which, by the way, never loses, always wins. It's already written. Where's that excitement? Where's that boldness? And I'm proclaiming, I'm wearing this today. Lions. But the boldness that needs to happen in the day that we live in, in order to win people, I need the Luke kind of boldness. The kind of boldness says, whatever it takes, no matter how much time it takes, Lord, you've inspired me to do this, and so therefore I'm going to take the bold moves, the bold steps to be able to accomplish the things that you put in front of me to do. And I know it's just going to be, there it goes. I, I know it's just going to be my little steps and maybe it's not going to be anything big happening right away, but I'm just going to be obedient. I'm sure Luke going from person to person, just writing things down, organizing it, structuring it. It took a lot of time for him to do that. But at the end of the day, once you put your proving it part on it, once you put the Holy Spirit anointing on it, once you put your power behind the steps that I'm taking as I'm in obedience and faithfulness to you, that's when anything can happen. So I'm going to read this. I didn't even read it yet, but I just talked about Luke for a minute. And I'm going to read this as the last thing I'm going to read scripture-wise. So and Matthew records this as well, and he records the first part of it a little bit differently. Matthew talks about Jesus is coming, and he's bringing crowds with him. That's not, the crowds aren't mentioned in the beginning of this passage here. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on, the, on his face and begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he reached out his hand and he touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he ordered him, tell no one, saying, tell no one, saying, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I'm going to stop right there because this is an extremely bold move. Talk about bold moves. You're talking about a man who had leprosy. I'm going to share a little bit about what it was like back then for somebody who had leprosy and how I can compare it to where we're at right now as a people in America because this is a 
I'm going to share a little bit of vision with you today. We're going to have vision talk a little bit later on when we have this meeting. But you're talking about somebody who was completely isolated from population. So lepers were not allowed to communicate. They couldn't go to family events. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't hang out with people. They couldn't be in crowds. This is how crazy it was according to Levitical law. So this is illegal, right? It is illegal for them to be around people who didn't have leprosy. So if they were walking down the street, imagine if this is you, right? Because we have, a, we have and I'm going to read a, a little paragraph. We have what's called, what a lot of people are calling it a loneliness epidemic in the United States, where people are just really, really lonely, even though we're surrounded by people. But we have all the social media that we do and stuff like that, but we're not, the human contact isn't happening as much, or if it is, and it's, it's really the enemy. But I want to share a story about a lonely person, because there's nothing more lonely, in my opinion, than being a leper back in this time. Because you couldn't be by anybody. You were shunned by everybody. If you were walking down the street and there was somebody else walking that you seen coming, you literally had to yell out loud, I have leprosy. Or in the Greek, it'd be lepra. Let everybody know that I have this disease ahead of time so that you can purposely avoid me. And if I didn't and I walked next to you, I could get arrested. Right? So talk about loneliness. You had no opportunity at connection whatsoever. So here's this leper who's probably been dealing with this for a while. And just like all of us, eventually we get sick of being alone. We get sick of not having connection because God designed you to connect with people. You're designed for a fellowship. You're designed to be with one another, build each other up as iron sharpens iron. So does one man sharpen another. As I have burdens, you carry them. And you have burdens, I carry them. We walk together. We have to have that. But this leper didn't have any of that. He was by himself. And he got sick of it. And all of a sudden, one day, there's this guy walking by who he's heard stories about. Here's Jesus. I've heard that he heals the sick. I've heard he's done these things. And so I'm like, this is my opportunity. Like, I'm sick of living this way. Maybe he didn't know the passage that I read earlier that says that he rewards those that diligently seek him. But he diligently sought Jesus. To the point where he ran to Jesus, but not just Jesus, because according to what Matthew said, even Mark, there was a crowd. So he ran towards a crowd as a leper, and not yelling, hey, I'm a leper, because he knew they would leave, and he couldn't let Jesus leave. So he's just running towards Jesus, pursuing him. I'm going after Jesus, because I'm tired of being sick. I'm going after Jesus, because I'm tired of being alone. I'm going after Jesus, because I'm tired of being rejected. I'm tired of having to warn everybody to stay away from me. So he falls on his face before Jesus, and the words he used are interesting. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Because lepers weren't just considered, they have a disease that everybody can get. They were considered unclean physically and spiritually, both. It was both physical and spiritual. Which is why, like, clean is the word he used. Which is why Jesus gave him the instruction you need to go to the temple to the priest, and then you need to show them that you're better. And then they need to cleanse you, and they need to be able to then say that you're okay to go back out to the general population. They have to say you're okay, that you have been forgiven, so to speak, of your sin, that you've been cleaned. It was kind of like that. That was kind of the way it worked. They had to, they, he, Jesus had to get the instruction to go in order for them to have the right to be able to go back out in public. And I'm pretty sure even though Jesus said, don't go tell anybody, that he went and told everybody. Because then after this, there was a series of bold moves that took place. 
Because everywhere Jesus went, the crowds were like coming in on him like crazy to where one of the next stories, I sure didn't want to preach before, Jesus is in town probably um, in, in, probably in Peter's neighborhood. He's inside the house. The house is full of people so much so, and people are on the outside pressing in, like everybody following Jesus, all the crowds. And you remember the story, the guy climbs up on the roof with his friends, and or he's paralytic, so they carried him up there, cut open the roof and dropped him in so that he, he can get a hold of Jesus, right? There is a seeking of the Lord is taking place from not only the leper, but then later on the result of the other person who is a paralytic, and we see it over and over and over and over again. There is this pursuit that takes place, these bold moves. I have found that bold moves of faith always come as a result of seeking. The more I press in in my walk with the Lord, the more I pray, the more I fast, the more I'm in the Word, the more He challenges me to make bold moves. <laughs> Matter of fact, I think He challenges me. The more the desire and the faith builds up inside of me that I want to make bold moves for the Lord. This pursuit that takes place. Sometimes it starts out of a desperation. This leper wasn't the only one that was ever alone. There was prophets, right? Elijah by the brook for two years by himself. After he leaves, God does amazing things, but he was by himself, lonely. <laughs> if you're lonely in a room, you're not alone. Only help you guys caught that. A lot of people have felt that. But the Lord is with you, number one. But here's the other thing is I remember David being pursued, being chased, at times hiding in caves by himself, being lonely, was discouraged, and he had to do something. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. Sometimes I just need to encourage myself in the Lord, and that's a bold move. The only way I can get this out of this place of feeling lonely is that I need to encourage myself in the Lord. I can't just sit back and be so, oh, you know what, there's no point. I'm not going to get involved in ministry, church. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to be in the Word. I just, I've done that before. Right now I'm just so lonely. I'm depressed. You could do that, and then you'll stay there. Or you can make a bold move and say, God, I'm going to pursue you more than I ever have before. I'm going to pursue connection more than I ever have before. And while I pursue connection, if I get rejected along the way, which you probably will, I'll find another. And I'll continue, because I will not let the enemy steal my joy. There's this article <laughs> posted on multiple Christian sites, actually, regarding loneliness. And I'm not going to read it all because of time, so I probably won't even read it at all. I'm just going to tell you that the, this thing is pretty wild, some of the statistics regarding the result of loneliness and what's happening in our country. And I start thinking about it a little bit. What kind of church does the world need? And I come to a conclusion, because you're going to I've shared vision with you guys before, and I think that we're on the right track. I know we are. And some of the things that we'll continue to press towards. But the world needs a church that's willing to get dirty. Flash is great. Excitement, entertainment, not bad. But without substance, without hands getting dirty, feet getting dirty, to find the lonely to find the broken. This is a bold move to do that because, you know, it's hard. Sometimes when somebody's been through a lot and they're lonely, they're hard to deal with. I get that. I've been hard to deal with. <laughs> so I understand. But the reality is for the church, it's our job, our responsibility to be able to pursue God with all of our heart. And as we do, I guarantee you, I promise you this, He is going to send you to lonely people. He is going to send you to broken people. He's not going to send you to do all the fun stuff all the time. Sometimes he's going to send you to somebody who needs your help. 
Somebody who needs your support. He's going to ask you to do bold moves. I'm going to read this quote from Theodore Roosevelt because I like it a lot, but I think it's important because sometimes, sometimes what we do is we sit back as a church and we don't do a lot, but then we criticize all the people who are doing a lot, especially when they fail. We're like, ha-ha, knew it was coming. Ha-ha. So it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the, door, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Their credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Pretty powerful. The leper could have stayed with those who know no victory or defeat. I'm just going to continue to sit alone and be by myself and not do anything. Instead, he pursued Jesus. Right? There's, there's this idea that we have to pursue. There has to be action. There has to be moves. Some of you are like, I messed up along the way. We talked about that already, but I'm going to share a Chinese proverb in closing today. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is now. So I planted it. I, didn't, I failed. I didn't plant the tree 20 years ago that I was supposed to plant. Get over it. Let's plant the tree today. Let's be faithful. Let's take steps now. Let's be the one that gets in the fight now. Let's be the one that gets dirty now. Let's be the one that finds those who are hurting now. Let's be the one that, <coughs> right? Let's be the one that pursues your dreams now. Let's be the one that listens to the Holy Spirit and is obedient now. doesn't matter what happened before. It's over. But today is today. We're alive right now. You're breathing. We talked about this before. I know it's, it's crazy science, but if you're in the room and you're breathing and you're hearing what I'm saying, you're alive. That's science. I know some of you are like excited. You talk about science. That's science. You're alive. And if you're alive, you have the opportunity today to hear from the Lord, then to be obedient to the Lord and to get your hands dirty pursuing him and pursuing opportunity to reach people. And pursuing opportunity to, to do the things that he's called you to do in obedience. We have that opportunity today. My challenge to all of us is let's not waste another one. Let's not waste another one. 20 years ago we didn't plant, so what? Let's plant today together. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray in closing. I'm not going to have anybody come up today. We're not going to, if you need prayer, we are available um, for that. We want to pray with you, and um, I'm available anytime for prayer, and I know everybody else is too, but we have a business meeting this afternoon, and there's going to be lunch coming. You're hungry. If not, you can just watch everybody else eat. That's okay. But, uh, but we're going to pray and close. And then, um, and then afterwards, I'll actually even now pray for the food. I don't know that it's going to be here anytime soon. It's coming? Okay, so we'll pray for that. That way when it gets here, you can just line up and eat, and then we'll have a business meeting in a little while. I promise you today, um, this is my word to you. I know the Lions play at 630. We will be out on time. I'm thinking 40 minutes, maybe less. 
um, if the Holy Spirit helps us. <laughs> All right, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for second opportunities. We thank you that we have the opportunity to make bold moves every single day. I pray that our life would be filled with bold moves. But I pray that every single bold move we make will be that which is in obedience to you, that you would hear your voice and we would listen to you. I pray for all of us in this room who have maybe failed or maybe didn't make the bold moves and we've kind of been filled with guilt and all of these other things that have kind of caused us to stop. Lord, I'm praying that first of all that we would repent and that we would allow you to, to do a work in us that's new that would allow us then to forgive ourselves so that we can move forward and begin to plant today, Lord. I pray that we would not be afraid to make bold moves, that as you speak to us individually, that we would make bold moves. As you speak to us as a church, that we would make bold moves together. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be a church of faith, that we don't just believe in you, but we believe you will prove who you are and that you will do miracles and signs and wonders and heal and breakthrough and all of those kind of things. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender this church to you. Have your way in us. Lead us how you want to lead us. Direct us to where you want us to go. Give us the words to say when you want us to say them. Empower us to preach your gospel and empower us and strengthen us to show the love of Jesus to every single person we come in contact with. Help us pursue the lonely and the broken. Help us pursue those right now. And by the way, that's, we, know, we, we acknowledge, Lord, we know that's a lot of people. But um, help us to at least be able to minister to the ones close to us that we come into contact with. Help us do our part in bringing your presence to the lonely. Every single person who's lonely and brokenhearted, when they come to know you, we know without a doubt they'll be filled with joy. They'll feel that connection that comes from knowing you. And then, of course, they get the body of Christ for connection. So help us to do that. Help us be your hands and feet today, Jesus. Amen. 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 Oh, also, Lord, thank you for this food that we're going to eat in just a little bit. Bless the term, nourish our bodies, even though some of it is pizza. And uh, we just pray for an incredible time today of fellowship and of talking about your business. We just give you, um, getting control of that today. Have your way during that meeting and um, help us to be articulate, quick, and to the point, and clear. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>